Consensus has come down this week on my nerdiest t-shirt. Probably your New York Public Library. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's the one. And so, you know, like I, I have I have t-shirts. Uh, I have other t-shirts about being a book nerd. Um, I, I have t-shirts for all kinds of bands. And I, I have t-shirts for comics big and small. But word has it, wearing a t-shirt that says New York Public Library on it is the nerdiest one in my wardrobe. No, it's only nerdiest when you're going to a documentary about the New York Public Library. Somehow that magnifies the nerdiness. If I went to the movie, on, if I went to see Ragnarok on Thursday and I was wearing a Thor t-shirt, how is that worse than going to see Ex Libris wearing my Public Library t-shirt? See, that's what I don't know. I kind of like that it has come back around where superheroes are not the nerdiest thing one can do, but reading a book might be. <laughs> I also love, by the way, that I was able just to say, my nerdiest shirt, you immediately knew which one it was. Hell yeah. It's, 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 like, it's like the shirt is transcended. I'll have, to, I'll have to do a tweet or something about this thing. I think uh, you already did. That's why I remembered. Oh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> done and done. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 186 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast on my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Folks, I need to implore you right now to light a candle, uh, uh, give a token, say a prayer of thanks to the gods of good health because neither my guest my, or nor myself were in good vocal shape just... 18 hours ago and somehow we're both actually a lot better so this this episode was going to sound very rough um but miraculously uh the gods of good health and the goddesses of good health have blessed this episode with good audio quality out of the vocal cords of my guests and myself so that's good news and there are certain appearances on this show that i look forward to um and for more than a few reasons today's guest is one of them quite simply She's one of my dearest friends. She's the person I talk to about film and television the most, uh, but also, and mainly, over the last year, life itself, and that part of uh, our existence that TV and film is supposed to distract from. Um, she's written for my site many times over the years. She's done an amazing job editing my own writing over the years, uh, quietly in the background, uh, and uh, been one of the most frequent guests of this show through full episodes and... Um, film festival episodes along with helping me remember which direction is north when my compass goes on the fritz she is the hostess co-hostess of real insight podcast uh, a show that she co-hosts with rachel thoreau she also contributes at cinema axis along with as previously mentioned occasionally on my site we are across the st lawrence river to upstate new york where dr jess rogers well is on the show how are you doc I'm good. 186 episodes. Congratulations. <laughs> I, that like, number creeps up fast. It, it really does. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I, I do wonder sometimes what it would be like if I did it weekly. There's other times where I wonder if I had have stayed on schedule. I, I think I would have been at around 200 by now. Uh, but yeah, it, it really, it really does creep up. Um, I, it's kind of funny because sometimes I'm not sure whether to be proud of that or ashamed <laughs> I don't know. I've got, we've only got like 150 odd episodes, 46 odd episodes of the Real Insight podcast. So st that's still knows? pretty good. Like considering your your frequency of it and how that's gone up and down and up and down over the years, that's still really damn good. 
No, no, it's only gotten less frequent over the years. We used to do it once a week, then we did it every two weeks, and we now do it once a month. <laughs> Soon it's going to be like, should we do a show? Oh, and we take the summer off. Of course. <laughs> yep. On episode 186, we will be discussing Thor Ragnarok and flipping the record over to play the other side. But first, we need to learn more about Jess. This is Know Your Enemy. Get comfy, people, on episode 21, where we discussed the town. We learned the first movie that Jess had ever seen in a theater was The Muppets Take Manhattan. The movie she watched last at the time was Snowcake. I've seen that, by the way. I finally I finally caught up with it. I was like, this is pretty good. It is pretty good. Yeah. The worst movie that she'd ever seen was Over Her Dead Body. The unseen classic or essential was Citizen Kane. She's since seen it and loves it. The film that she wished she'd made was Out of Africa. Next, on episode 57, we discuss Cabin in the Woods, the film that she loves that nobody else seems to, also out of Africa. The film that everybody else digs, she does not, is There Will Be Blood, with a side mention to Lost in Translation. The last film to make her cry was The Hunger Games, the first one. The In the movie of her life, she would be played by the Charlie's Angels version of Cameron Diaz, or the Rachel McAdams badass in multiple movies where she is a badass. And the film she was watching next, with an asterisk on it, was Take Shelter, which she never actually did get to watch before she had to return the DVD to Netflix. Did you finally ever catch up with it? I did. Okay. I did see it. Cool yep, film, It's not it? on that DVD. Yeah, very. Yeah. And then on episode 86, where we discussed The Apartment, we learned the movie that made her love of film turn a corner was Pursuit of Happiness, because it was the film that launched her into writing about movies. Uh, her first date movie was Mission Impossible. Her sick day movie is Waitress, a movie that has since been adapted into a Broadway musical that kind of holds a special place in the heart of both Jess and myself. Oh, it's great. It's so good. <laughs> there, it makes more... me want pie. Yeah, me too. I, I've actually, I got to rewatch the actual film. I, I was realizing that recently. Um, I think actually we're coming up on 10 years since the director was killed, actually. Wow. Yeah, time flies. The movie to leave her speechless was a movie called Taking Chance with Kevin Bacon, uh, and her epitaph would be, in case I forgot to mention it, I had a really good time tonight. Finally, on episode 161, where we talked about Ghostbusters 2016, we learned the film that she really digs but never needs to see again is Life is Beautiful. The movie that genuinely freaked her out is The Silence of the Lambs. The movie that always makes her laugh is Step Brothers. Her favorite movie soundtrack is You've Got Mail, and the movie that she loves, but nobody has heard of it, and I love it too, and you should see it if you haven't, is a documentary called Just Eat It, about food waste. So it's time for round five. When you go to a theater, which we discussed this week, you're doing slightly less and less. Um, where do you prefer to sit? I actually might be the only one I know. I don't actually care at all. Really? I just don't want to sit. I let anyone I'm going with choose. Or I do sort of the bathroom game. Like, where do I seat myself such that I'm farthest from everywhere else? Everyone else. Um, I just don't want a broken seat. And I don't want to sit behind someone tall. I'll move for either of those. But otherwise, I really don't care. So you're fine close, you're fine no back, preference. you're fine side to side, Doesn't you don't need to be in the middle, you're yep. okay on an angle. Nope. 
Any nope. anything with? Uh, oh wait, wait, hold on. Anything with? If it's a three D movie, you want to be head on because you got your glasses and the glasses. Nope, don't care. Really? Haven't yeah, noticed. You are, like you are capital L low maintenance. Yeah, I, the like on occasion because I live in a very rural area and I tend to go to the movies on weeknights by myself if I'm going, and uh, I will stumble upon a empty theater. If there is no one to encourage my sitting as far from other people as I can, I will sit dead center. But that's walking into a empty theater. Huh. And you know, the funny <laughs> thing is, like, I'm, I'm, I'm replaying back our friendship in my head and I'm realizing that, like, we, we it's, it's always been, where do you want to sit? I don't know. Find a place. And right. you just kind of follow me. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> See, I don't, I actually don't care. Wow. Okay. That's cool. You're, you're the first person to get to round five and not care. So I do like that. It's, <laughs> I do like that. We've, uh, we've established a, a break in the pattern. Oh, nice. Um, I mean, listen there, there, I, I really do like that. There's something to be said for just walking in and sitting where you sit. I, I'm, I'm of course a person who's like mildly OCD, which you can usually tell if you look at, you know, the schedule of how I tweet things and how I take my pictures and all that jazz. I really do love the idea that there's lots of people out there in the world that just go with it. Um, if you could go on a date with any movie character, who are you going out with? Okay, this one was a good question. I spent a lot of time thinking through this. I looked at all the movies I own. I wouldn't I won't say I thought super broadly to like all movies ever, but I looked at all the movies I own and I have sort of two answers, but they sort of fulfill the same goal and I am kind of surprised at my own answer. Okay. So the person I would probably most enjoy going on a date with, Langdon, from the um Angels and Demons and the new... What was the first one? The Da Vinci Code. Okay. The professor from Harvard who talks about <laughs> symbols. Right. Yep. I'm a that kind of nerd, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So let's let's back this up a step because I know that... I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. You read the books as well, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So are we talking about him as a complete fictional entity? We're not even really talking about the way Tom Hanks portrays him. Well, both. Like, he's okay. a swimmer. Um, oh, that's that's right, how Chet. he gets down. And he's nerdy and likes looking at the symbols. And he has influential friends around the world. And, yeah, I, I he's... I don't know. That's kind of Tom Hanks with the short hair, not the long hair. Yeah, the yeah, the, the, the first one with the long hair doesn't work. No, it doesn't. Otherwise, yeah, we're good. <laughs> I mean, like like you said, like he's he he ticks off a lot of boxes. I I'm thinking he's your type. He, sure. you're, you're you're both academics. You mm-hmm. you're both swimmers. Mhm. Uh and and I think like more than anything really he gets around, so if, if it was something like, hey, I've got to go to Florence for the weekend, you want to come? I, I'm thinking yeah. that could work to your advantage. Exactly. Like, he goes <laughs> other places, he won't be too busy, but he won't be around all the time, and yeah, I think it. it I think that's who my ideal fictional date would be. I like this idea. I Listen, i got to be honest, I am somewhat surprised that it's not a Jane Austen character or something. I, I could have swore that you were... Mr. Darcy? No. Darcy or right. Bingley or one of them. No, it'd have to be Mr. Darcy from the A&E BBC version. How did, how did he get elbowed aside? <clears throat> oh, he is Colin Firth. So. No, no, I'm saying, no, how did he get elbowed aside for oh. Langdon? 
Because I know um, you own both. That, that's what I'm saying. How are you holding right, those two I movies in your hand? I don't know. He teaches at Harvard. I'm a snob. What can I say? I, I think it's also that Hugh Grant in Sense and Sensibility is a little too soft-spoken. Yeah, so there's that. You know, there's that. Okay. I, I couldn't go with the older version because I didn't want to be a woman in that time period. So to date a man from that time period would be rough. Yep. No, there's, you know, there, there's true methodology here. I'm, I'm enjoying I this. I know. I thought about this for much too long and I kind of <laughs> enjoy my answer. <laughs> well, speaking, speaking of questions that I'm sure you thought about for a long time, what is the dirtiest film you've ever seen? Okay. I didn't know where to go with this one. So I started thinking about the dirtiest film I ever saw, and I'm pretty sure it's Mad Max Fury Road. I spent most of the movie wishing they could take a bath. <laughs> you are the second. Like, you are the second person who has taken the question literally, and I do like that. Um, but, but yeah, it's like it's weird because not only is that movie like dusty, I'm, right. I'm, actually, I'm actually really surprised that they didn't lose more cameras to to sand getting in the works. Here, here's where I'm going to nerd out because sand is like one of the biggest enemies of camera equipment. You get like one grain in there and you're screwed. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and it used to be, it used to be even worse. It's, it's, it's a little bit better now that things are less mechanical, but um, it's, it's just as bad if like sand gets into your digital sensors. Um, but yeah, it's bad enough that they're out there in the sand, but yeah, everybody's really muddy and sweaty and grimy. And, and it's, it, it you know, because it's in this weird, post-apocalyptic future where people i guess don't really shower it's ubiquitous across (laughs) the entire movie it just happens over and over and then they have to fight and then they clearly get dirtier and sweatier and bloodier and just disgusting yeah even i mean even the uh even the daughters even like the 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 three little like like the goddesses that they take away and they're like smuggling away even they're kind of grimy yeah (laughs) <laughs> Nobody looks clean. There's no water pretty much anywhere in the movie. Nope. Um, yeah. You just start thinking, how do they bathe? Well, and then you realize they don't. Yeah. I'm thinking that's got to be a, a, a bit of a ripe it, truck, into, like cab interior. Yeah. You know? That, 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 <laughs> that, that, that's where I start thinking of, of like, that yep, probably smells terrible. It probably did. Oh, but man. I did start thinking about, like, the sexiest version of the dirty movie i suppose but most of those are so violent i wouldn't i don't think of them as dirty right right they're they're partnering sex and violence in a way that i find unappealing yeah and I'm, like i mean it's that that could have been a way to take the question in in terms of you know the difference between dirty and sexy is is you know mm-hmm. like it's it's one of those things that we could have we could have a whole show i'm oh, sure absolutely. based on that alone but uh yeah that that that's that's certainly a qualifier that would that would take that one away but hey no good answer well done uh what is i do not know the answer to this at all what is your favorite black and white movie ooh the philadelphia story oh cool okay why that one um Catherine Hepburn is just such a badass. I love when she's talking about the sailboat being Yar in the pool. And uh, I don't know. She's just crazy awesome. And she's got two super hot men fighting over her. And they're both reasonably appealing in their own way. And I don't know. I just love it. I ne- The weird thing is, you, you'll like this. I had to look up whether it was in black and white. Hmm. Because I don't, I don't know. Maybe this is just me but i don't tend to remember movies as being black and white or color 
and the um, DVD I had for so long had the full color poster yeah. picture. Um, so I couldn't, I was like, is that movie in color? Did I see a colored version of it? No, I saw a black, it is a black and white movie. Um, yeah, that's my favorite one. Um, I mean, like, I think because they spend so much time at that house, right? And that, that house is, it's not like, it's not lavish. It's not like an estate, but it's, it's a very, very like, uh, wealthy, you know, um, well, yeah, well to do middle class. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's you can kind of in your mind's eye, you can see a lot of the colors exactly. Um, and it's not one where uh, the black and white is really used to flashy effect. You know, it, it's not one that's got deep shadows or that's got these really, really intricate uh, scenery shots in black and white, like John Ford movies or anything like that. So no. I, I kind of like that your mind's eye just kind of filled in. The, the, the color palette it really did as i'm thinking back on it though the scene where she's drunk and I love I, is it jimmy stewart has to take care of her no or carrie grant has to take carrie grant her. has to take care of her and that scene is very much deep in black and white like if i'd really th- thought through it about that up to that scene i would have remembered the black and white because it's very sort of nighttime but not dark and it balances out and it's shot really well. It's usually the pool scene where I have to spend a lot of time thinking, is that in black and white? Mm-hmm. I definitely fill in a lot of the colors. I, you know what? I, uh, I feel like that's a movie that not, uh, not enough people have seen. Like that's one of those classics that when, when you start talking about classic movies, you kind of go down the usual rabbit hole of Citizen Kane and 2001 and Vertigo and The Godfather and so on and so forth. I feel like you got to get like 10 or 20 deep before you start talking about the classic rom-coms. And and that's a shame because that yeah. movie is so good. Oh, so great. Yeah. Um, no, good. Very good choice. I like that one uh, a lot. Um, finally, last but not least for now, until I think of a six round of questions, what is a film that nobody would expect you to like? Well, since now people know that I like it, and I forgot that I recorded Cabin in the Woods on your show, those were my two good answers. (laughs) The (laughs) Step Brothers is one of my all-time favorite movies, (laughs) and Cabin in the Woods is a horror movie that I don't think people would generally associate with me, except that it is Joss Whedon, so um, my Buffy love would overwhelm it. But Jaws is actually one of my favorite movies. That movie is scary. I know. As hell. I own. What? And I love it. And, and I mean, it's and, and it it's it's a movie about like swimming that gets terrorized too. Exactly. Like, it be, it I'm not checking off of a charts. lot of boxes against. I agree, but there it is, happily and proudly in its anniversary edition on my shelf. Wow. See, you're surprised. I'm stunned. I, I would not expect that. Like, I would expect you to have seen it and thought, yeah, that's a good movie. I wouldn't you would expect like you like really really dig it. Wow. Oh, I probably watch it once a year. Oh my god! Okay, um, and I don't watch a lot of my movies once a year. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's no, that that that's a, yeah. I I mean, again, yeah. I would expect that you appreciate it, but I wouldn't expect that would be the one that you have. I I certainly would have thought that the the scariness would have uh, kept it away from your shelf with movies like you know Silence of the Lambs and that kind of thing that you that oh, you've watched no. on my on my behest. Uh, yeah, no, that's. That's definitely a good answer there. Um, you know, yeah, Step Brothers, just because it's it's silly, um, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, many people don't like it. Yeah, Cabin in the Woods, I'm, I'm less surprised, just because I think that the sly commentary in that one overrides the actual 
freakiness of it. Like that's a movie yeah. that it has never once struck struck me as scary in the least. Ah. So, but yeah, no, definitely a very good answer. I'll, like a, a combined little three part answer. I like that for sure. There we go. That is more about Jess Rogers. We'll learn even more when she inevitably shows up for a sixth round. And with the amount of people I've had on this year that have round five questions, I really need to get to going on round six. So if anybody has suggestions for round six questions, please email me. Um, for now, though, we need to cut to the new slang. And the new slang is the latest Marvel Studios joint, Thor Ragnarok, right after this. Before we get going, we should say that we are going to use some minor spoiler talk in Thor Ragnarok in that there is a character detail that's not released in the movie's marketing that we do want to touch upon, so consider yourself warned in that respect. We're not going to talk about the end of this movie and how it all kind of pays off, So, but there will be a minor spoiler uh, that people may or may not know about. Uh, but Thor Ragnarok is directed by Taika Waititi. It's written uh, by Eric Pearson, Craig Kyle, and Chris Yost. It stars Chris Hemsworth, Kate Blanchett, Tom Hiddleston, Mark Ruffalo, Tessa Thompson, Idris Elba, Jeff Goldblum, Carl Urban, and Anthony Hopkins. Ragnarok brings us back to the adventures of Thor. We last saw him lead the Avengers at the end of their encounter with Ultron because he felt like something was amiss back in his home of Asgard. He was right. Things are very much amiss. Loki has had Odin tucked away, and that lack of presence at the top has left the whole place vulnerable, especially from Loki and Thor's older sister, who they didn't even know existed. Hela, god of death, comes back to Asgard to take her rightful place as queen. In the fray to prevent her from doing that, Thor and Loki end up off-planet. Off-planet, in this case, means Sakaar, a world that is part dump, part coliseum, and part night at the Roxbury. It's lorded over by the Grandmaster who enjoys feeding fresh challengers to his champion, a big green dude with breathtaking anger issues. So it goes that Thor and Loki must get away from Sakaar, get Hulk to reconnect with the Bruce Banner side of himself, convince an Asgardian warrior named Valkyrie to help them, and take down their sister before it's all too late. Ordinarily, I like to start the conversation with a question about themes or ideas that the film presents, sort of give the conversation a launching point based on a bigger idea that may have occurred to me while I was watching it. But today, I just don't have that. Today, we have a film that is a little hard to talk about at length only because of the genre and the way the genre has largely become about furthering one or two or three larger narratives. So, quite simply, pop quiz, hot shot. Are you caped out yet? No. Really? Why, why not? I will... we, sh- we should tell people that you are you are a, a you are a nerd as much as the bulk of the audience going to these things are nerds. You don't go much further down the superhero rabbit hole unless it's something that one of your friends or myself or something like that pushes you saying, "Hey, if you liked all those shows or movies, you might want to read this." Right. Right. No, I watch, I've seen all the movies at least once, and a few of them I've given a couple of tries, and I own probably the first one of all of the series. 
Mm -hmm. I don't think I've gotten into the sequels of any of them, actually, looking around. Okay. Um, And I enjoy the TV shows. I keep up with basically what's going on in DC through the TV shows. So I enjoy the genre. But no, I have no knowledge of where any of this might be going or what it might be based upon, other than I know comics and graphic novels exist. So that little, like... um that little kind of big unknown as to where this is all, where, where the next piece will fall and the next piece will fall. That's what's kind of bringing you through this. Uh, you know, now we're like a good 10 years or 12 years into peak superhero. You're not, you're not getting burnt out on the genre. No, I really, it's weird. I kind of want to wait. I want to see where the end of it's going to be and then watch them in the order that reveals to see if I can pick up whatever the final bits are going to be. Mm. I It feels like they're still building all of these pieces into a common thread, but I can't figure out what that's going to be. And I don't know enough about the comic books themselves or if any of them are completed in that way if that's going to become a thing. Um, Like watching this one, watching this one, you really needed to have seen at least the original Thor and definitely both Avengers movies. Yeah. But I don't know that you needed the second Thor. Um, For sure. The second Thor I found, because this week um, during my sick day, I did my Thor homework. um, And I, which, so the Thor homework for this was the two Thor movies and the two Avenger movies. Um, I, I have long since given up, like trying to watch all the Marvel movies in the run up to a new Marvel movie. Cause nobody has that kind of time anymore. Um, no. And at best you'd need maybe Dr. Strange to add in to where Thor has been present, but yeah, sort of. And, and, and actually that's the, that's the funny thing. Like that, that was the only thing I didn't really count on coming into this, even though Thor is the, uh, the little tag at the end of Dr. Strange, I, sh- I kind of should have known. Um, although I did watch mm-hmm. half of Doctor Strange this week, um, but the, the only the only thing somebody would need the second Thor movie for in in Ragnarok homework is just understanding where Loki is at and where Odin is at because when we first come into this movie and that's kind of the first domino to fall when this when this movie begins um, and that's all addressed in Dark World. So, you, you know, you could get away without it. You don't really need it, but you could get oh. away without it. Actually, it's funny because that's, that's the one thing I like. Now, to kind of answer my own question, I'm not getting caped out, which is kind of a rig deck because it's my genre. But at the same time, I, what I, I am dialing back my enthusiasm a little bit. I do find that there's this weird counter swing now to nerd culture where if you don't like the nerdy properties something must be wrong with you so I, I try to just approach them as yeah it's a movie or you know yeah it's a book or yeah it's a show um, right. if somebody tells me oh no I don't like it I'm not going to be like what what's what's wrong with you how can you not everybody else likes it um, so in, in that respect I'm trying to be a little bit more respectful of people who may or may not be into these shows or, or movies I should say um, but I'm actually the opposite in terms of the greater story. I, I'm finding that I'm being drawn more towards the movies that are self-contained. This movie is largely self-contained in that you don't need to do a whole lot of advanced reading to understand everything that's going on. Um, Logan was really a self-contained movie. 
the the second True. Wolverine movie as well, the one that's just called The Wolverine as well as a self-contained story. Um, as as much as I appreciate where Marvel is going with phase three that we're now i don't know i've I've lost count i want to say that we're two or three movies into it um that part of it is burning me out um as to where all of this is going just because it kind it's it is so sprawling and it's funny that you mention the end because that's that's always been my my hang up with being a comic book fan is a lot of comics do not end they just get to a point where they don't want to tell a story anymore and they either start over or they drastically change the character, but the property goes on. It's why I can't keep up with Walking Dead anymore, because the Walking Dead comics just don't end. <laughs> no, that makes sense. And I don't like it when they do that. I don't... Whatever they've been doing with Spider-Man, I can't keep up anymore. Ooh. Isn't this the third reboot? And is this Spider-Man going to be in whatever the next DC universe thing is uh justice dawn of justice no uh, no justice well, no, no no spider-man is spider-man is a marvel character but he was off oh, on, yeah, yeah. he was off on his own um and he he actually he will be in he this was the first time that they brought him into the marvel movie like the marvel studios umbrella because he belonged to sony for the longest time so even though he was right. a marvel comic character they had to pretend that he didn't exist um so when sony kind of kept on screwing up their movies Eventually, they just turned and struck this deal with Marvel and said, uh, how about we get in bed together for the next movie and you make him pal around with Iron Man and pal around with all these other characters that you have and then maybe we can get a win. So it's, but it is exhausting because we're now, this last movie wasn't an origin story exactly, but it did back up in terms of time. Um, and and that's that's part of the thing, right? Like with all these movies were trying to pretend like certain things didn't happen or certain actors weren't there or you know if if a character if an actor doesn't want to come back we just kind of shuffle off that storyline conveniently that that's another thing that i i fear people might get burnt out on yeah i think i thought this one thor ragnarok the title and the underlying whatever ragnarok was yeah i think matters very little um to enjoying most of it definitely some of the jokes get lost if you haven't if you don't know what's going on like when loki says see that's how it feels after hulk bangs Thor <laughs> around like you wouldn't really get that but it's still a funny moment because he's still but he doesn't you miss the puny human thing and yeah, yeah the moments that kind of connect to that but so I, I, I think you could still enjoy it without having seen any of them yeah so i i take it you did dig this movie I did. I thought it was really funny. Really? I thought they did a good job mixing and matching all of it. I loved some of the extra, the new characters. I loved Jeff Goldblum's character mm. and um, Tessa Thompson's character, Valkyrie. I didn't get Carl Urban. I totally didn't recognize him at the beginning. He was so small, and normally he's such a tall, imposing actor. Hmm. Um, and then the voice of Korg is actually director Taika Waititi. <laughs> yes. So amazing. Um, it's funny. I, I, I gotta be honest. I really wasn't the Thor franchise is the franchise that I care the least about. It's, it's kind of, it's the most magical in a way that I don't give a crap about. I do like the space intergalactic end of the Marvel stories. Like that, that, that part is something that I think is really cool. 
Um, but for some reason that I can't quite articulate, Thor has always been one of those characters that just doesn't do it for me. So every time we got to go back and talk about Thor again, I'm like, all right, fine, let's do this. Um, so I wasn't, I wasn't actually really looking forward to it, but um, you mentioned already the director Taika Waititi and his like his tack on the story I think is really what makes this work because he kind of infuses this weird 80s buddy cop jokey mentality into into an end of the into an end of the story that's always been so stuffy and serious that this movie is actually, is is surprisingly good it was it was kind of one that got people excited in its marketing and, and managed to actually parlay that into a good story it's the same i mean it was such a challenge right you're taking thor and hulk who have now left the core of the avengers at least physically um and you need to wind it into the story you got to throw it back into the thor mythology of its own Mm -hmm. and build from there and chris hemsworth has now sort of semi-proven himself as a comedic actor and now you're a director like Taika Waititi that makes Hunt for the Wilder People and why am I forgetting his other one? Oh, What We Do in the Shadows. shadows. And apply it to all of that mess. And I think he did the right thing. I think he went the right directions with being as funny and as um, I don't know, irreverent with some of his characters um, to balance it out. Like, Think about it if Korg had had a deep voice like you'd expect, like yeah. the Michael Chiklis voice from the stone dude from the four, Fantastic Four. Um, sorry. See, this is how deep my nerdiness goes. It only goes that far. You're, you're, over, you're, over, you're overthinking it. His character's name is The Thing. There you, there you go. The Thing. <laughs> <laughs> With Michael Chiklis's voice. Right. Um, like, that's a deep voice. Or if they'd chosen The Rock or somebody, yeah. the actor The Rock, not A Rock. Right. Um, <laughs> any of those things. If they'd chosen a really deep voice, instead he's got this really high pitched New Zealand accent that is just perfect to. You can't help but smile when you hear that voice coming out of this hulking type thing that. And that was a deliberate combo. Um, that is going to fight as a gladiator and it's like i I, this is something different i mean it's the the, one of the other things that this movie does really well it's kind of funny because for the longest time we were talking about how we wanted our uh we wanted our superhero stories to be grounded and have them be gritty and have them be realistic this is a movie that is bright and candy colored and absurd and massive in terms of its scale uh, just you know at at every single turn asgard has always been gigantic and mm-hmm. um sakar is another world that's gigantic and they're zipping around space they're falling through portals this is you know th- it's it's like this is a movie that decides we are going to be silly. We are going to paint with every single color in the box and turn everything up really loud and just not even try to hide how much we're smirking, which you kind of need to... Actually, the, the one thing that I'm thinking about is you kind of need to hand it to Kate Blanchett because she's the only character in this thing that needs to play it straight. She never really gets, yeah. a, moment to, she never really gets a moment to let that part of her 
her, her you know she never really gets in on the fun um and she and she still just dedicates herself to it um yeah that 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 all that entire approach by Watiti is amazing it's really good but it's not like it takes some of what the guardians of the galaxy did really well making it bright the lights bright and um the outfits bright like green um uh is it gamora is that her name that she's got green skin yes, and yes. like the way that all of that stuff is sort of done um but still having clearly a very gritty undertone. This one sort of ramps that up a notch, but also you can see that Thor is really pissed at Loki, his brother, and these things are actually hurting him underneath, and Bruce Banner is going through something as the Hulk. He's trying to figure out what it means to give in and be the Hulk or not, and they're fighting their sister to find out that maybe their father wasn't as good as he'd they'd hoped or known and so there's a lot of this underlying real family drama but then the portal they fall through is called the devil's anus yeah (laughs) you kind of get these like quick asides all the way through that they but then they comment on them and they're they find them funny they're recognizing the humor so you're kind of given permission amidst the seriousness to laugh at these things yeah um i touched on her a moment ago but i kind of want to kind of steer the conversation so any any movie any any hero's movie uh, uh, usually will succeed or fail based on its villain and this is this is something actually that marvel has had a gigantic problem with because on on screen aside from loki they've had real trouble coming up with villains that are interesting sometimes even villains that are memorable at all um true hella is kind of an interesting case because i don't know that she's going to be remembered as one of the great villains um her story is a complex one for sure and you know as usual kate blanchett pulls it off how did like what did you think of Hella as a character, the way they use her, and and Blanchett in general. I'll start with my biggest problem sure. with her. Okay. Um, if they had used her horns the way they randomly or um, not particularly often used Loki's big horns, like just on occasion as a helmet, as part of battle, I might have been okay with it. The gimmick of smoothing her hair back and creating the horns worked the first time. Okay. And then it didn't work for me. Really? It didn't make any sense. I I didn't like them. They didn't seem to add a thing. It's like, I don't understand why you need the horns to make you badass. Okay. She didn't use them. Like, it's not like she took them off and hit things with them. Right. And I didn't understand how one grew horns out of one's hair <laughs> when nothing else like that happens. Well, I mean, she, she's got magic, right? That's that's the thing. She's a god. She's got. She's a god. I was gonna say she's a I god. Agree, I was like, no, oh, she's a god. But she's a god in the same way Thor's a god, and Odin's a god. And they I, don't grow horns. They never really show that kind of magic, right? Well, but, but isn't like, Thor's, Thor's? No, no, no. Thor's a guy who can conjure lightning out of a hammer. Like that, that's that's the that's the absurd end of this world that we're in. This is not Tony Stark building shit. 
No, definitely not. Right? It was it was that extra tiny piece too far for me. Okay. If she'd done it the first time, like Loki has some element of magic, right? He's a shapeshifter in his yeah. own way. He can change his clothes and that's always kind of cool. Yeah. If it had if she had demonstrated like some version of that, like even just a snap instead of having to smooth her hair back to make it happen, I it might have made more sense to me. Or if she'd been able to turn them into more than one shape, like as it befit a particular battle. I am picking at hairs here, but that's where it sort of would have won me back over. Instead, it became this crazy, unattractive, impractical thing that she kept doing. I I think one thing that that would have been kind of cool is... If if the if like the headdress had it kept on growing as her power grew, like if she started yeah. if she started with something subtle, but then as her power was growing, it turned into what it ultimately becomes. Kind of like that would have been good because yeah. more than once they mentioned that her power grows the longer she's been at Asgard. Yeah, I, that would have been interesting. I I do like her role as the sibling, and I do like her role as the link to the past and i think there's some there she's not she's not a bad villain but she's also not a great villain i i i could watch entire movies of her just slaughtering armies i think anytime they get her fighting it really shows just like you know the god of death at her at her most powerful um but there's with, with me it wasn't something in her character design like the horns i i felt like there was one scene missing of extra complexity we needed her talking to someone like the scene where she first talks to is it scourge yeah. um or carl urban yeah about my father had executioners why don't you be my executioner and that's one who both kills and who executes things for me that was good that was starting to build who she was and what she needed and obviously raising her armies and things like that and the dog but then there's one more where it's needed i thought that would have explained what she planned to do with all this yeah like why it was a necessary thing yeah um that left me unconvinced and going back to the her being a badass in the um fight scenes i would say 95 percent of the time she was there were at least two moments where it actually made me cringe one was that it looked too much like a video game it's like oh we've lost this This (laughs) we're watching a stupid video game for a minute and then another one where her choreography to like get ready to prep to throw her swords that come from nowhere magic um, she's magic she just sort of i don't have a problem with the swords that come from <laughs> okay. nowhere those okay. are okay just... <laughs> sorry but she was she was moving her arms in the way that like you'd think that she should be throwing her spidey swords oh, but okay. she didn't right. like she had she was cor- sort of choreographed to moving her hands that it's like what are you doing are mm. you dan like it it was begging to be mocked if someone had been standing right in front of her yeah See now, at the same time, it's kind of funny because we're we're picking apart Hila, and over in another corner, we've got another character that I want more from later, and I hope we're not done with. I, I wasn't entirely satisfied with the treatment of Valkyrie in this movie. Um, I, I was yes. actually I was actually really looking forward to Valkyrie because they market her and they paint her as a new warrior on the road, and 
she spends most most of this movie being surly and drunk. She really only gets into the fray late and doesn't seem to kind of add up to this vi- this billing of being a warrior goddess, not a goddess. So she's she's a soldier. Um, and you know, we're just a few months removed from watching Wonder Woman tear apart you know, one battlefield were a few weeks away from her watching her tear apart another battlefield. I think that was more what I wanted out of Valkyrie and even approaching some of the admittedly silly fighting from Hela. I, I, I wanted more out of that character. I, I get the idea that she's disillusioned and just hiding, but I didn't really want that for her. I like some of what they did with her, but I don't know. And she didn't, she didn't quite get all the way back. I think if they set her up to be in a, a new part of the movie, mm-hmm. the next movie of whatever comes, do we get another Thor? I don't even know. There's what nothing on the sl- like there's nothing anymore. on the slate right now, but we're getting to a point where the world is going to start to collide, and basically everybody is fair game. Right. I think if she comes in on that, they have they have built something very solid to grow her character, and she's kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. So. I'm okay with where she went. I wanted more, but I thought it was just about right. Right. And I think the other, the the one, like, this movie isn't really leaning too heavily on themes, but it does have two, and I kind of think that's where I want to take the conversation before we wrap this up. Yeah. Um, So the one theme kind of hangs on Bruce Banner and the Hulk. The last time we saw Bruce Banner, he was in a, he was in in a hell jet, and he was just on his way to parts unknown and we find out that this is where he's been on this planet for two years but not only has he been on this planet but he has been withdrawn into his hulk identity he doesn't just you know go crazy and and turn into the big green guy he's been staying as the big green guy even when he's not in battle or or engaged and i right he can converse with them and chat yeah yeah yeah. which that's that that has been part of hulk's character for a while so i do like that the movie is starting to kind of slowly go there and that when hulk is hulk he's also kind of a dummy um but i i did like the idea that they use that metaphor to address what happens when you hide you know it's we all there's a lot of people who myself included who want to do that who want to just be this is all getting too much i'm just going to hide over here in in this safe little space that everybody loves me or or you know everybody listens to what i have to say or i can be really big or really strong and it's it's not something i expected out of this movie i actually kind of just expected it was going to be hulk and thor on the road i didn't really expect that it was going to be thor talking to hulk saying you we need banner back now i i you know i i I like that way that they've i i thought it was interesting the way that they use that metaphor oh definitely um the idea that everyone's trying to hide from somewhere um that people don't want to go home to their not don't want to go home from their families but their families are being torn apart so asgard's being torn apart it's no longer his um realm and he's he and his sister are sort of fighting over it and the idea that there are these traumas that maybe you can't get over like whatever it was that sent him into um being the hulk hulk obviously knows that the earth doesn't like him the earth he killed too many people on earth in his efforts to save earth itself and people got pissed at it and i like that when he's talking he's literally chatting with thor about um 
whether Earth likes him anymore. Earth hates Hulk, or Earth Earth doesn't like Hulk anymore. Um, and it it's what does it mean when some parts of your personality, I guess, are really unlikable, but you still need the rest of you to do the things. And backing through to Banner when he comes through, what is he actually qualified to do? Yeah, well, and then Banner actually, the one thing I thought was cool was watching Banner kind of confront what he's done. You know, we're, we're, we're not entirely clear whether he does it knowingly or unknowingly, because when he comes out of it, he doesn't have a clear idea of just how much time has passed. No, but, not at but all. I, I, that was a great setup. Yeah, I really did love that Ruffalo is all of a sudden very twitchy, very nervous, and, and you know, he's not the zen guy that we first saw when the Avengers find him back in 2012. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, th- yeah, I really, I gotta be honest, I did not expect that angle at all of, you know, we, we can't hide from this shit for too long, that we have to face it. So the way yeah. that that was grafted rather elegantly into this dopey little story of, of you know, of gods fighting their family squabbles is, is pretty cool. And then the other thing I did love, um, this is somewhat spoilery, but not really, so bear with me, people. Um, the theme that comes up more than one, more than once is how Asgard is not a place, it's a people. Um, mm-hmm. because like, I, you know, I don't know if this was deliberate or not. I'm going to say it probably was deliberate, but I feel like that is, um, that, that, that can be said of a lot of places in the world right sure. now that, you know, that, that a lot of us are getting territorial about what is or is not fill in the blank, your town, your state, your province, your country. And that we're, you know, we're getting really, really territorial, like literally territorial. So I, I thought that was actually a really, I don't know if that's from the books or not, but I thought that that was actually a really um, strong statement to be said at this time. Absolutely. The idea of refugees kind of comes up a couple of times in different places. The idea that all the people on Sakaar are um, abandoned from somewhere else or thrown away by somewhere else. But some of them have found purpose in this new realm. And then obviously Asgard as sort of someone's come to take over and driven other people out even into the hills that's a different that's a different sort of take on this than we might have seen 10 years ago yeah it's it's all it's it's surprising because this movie doesn't really elevate and transcend into into other things and yet at the same time it doesn't fall into complete brainlessness either like a lot of these movies tend to tend to end with one great big smackdown that no that, i liked that this didn't yeah like there don't get me wrong this ends with a smackdown but <laughs> it's it's succinct it's it flows it's to the point you kind of know where everybody is i i actually like that the final fight was on the rainbow bridge because right it keeps it all very compact if it had have gone through every little turret and courtyard all over Asgard I might have just really zoned out but because it's on that bridge that's very spacious and very airy with nowhere to go but forward or back it's actually yeah. kind of, again it's actually kind of a neat little metaphor it all comes together into a pretty good movie yeah I agree nice well we end every review here on the matinee cast with the souvenir something tangible or intangible uh, that if you could take away from this movie and keep you would uh, Jess Rogers not only claimed one in advance but she probably stole one away from me um, <laughs> Jess what is your souvenir from Thor Ragnarok 
So there's a moment where Thor becomes his true self, right? To finally start fighting in the final battle or towards the final battle. And they pause and put um, an actual music to the soundtrack. And it's Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song. And it is so perfect. As he sort of hits the rainbow bridge and is looking at saving these people and what has to happen, it just resonates so great. And I will not dishonor Led Zeppelin by attempting to sing any version (laughs) of it, but you'll hear how this just resonates. It's just so perfect. As I saw it, I was like, oh, Ryan, we're done. This is mine. Um, watching the movie and I don't usually do that usually I have to think back through and say oh yeah this was the moment that really struck me that's a a very good souvenir I do like it it's it's funny because Guardians notwithstanding the Marvel movies don't usually use pop music to great effect sometimes they're kind of playing in the background a little bit you're really willing to call Led Zeppelin pop music I mean it's not no but I mean as opposed to like the, the actual like symphonic score Okay, you're right. It's not Selena Gomez. No, 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 not like not like small p (laughs) pop music. Okay, Um, gotcha. I'm I'm gonna get letters. Um, (laughs) For me, my souvenir. um, It's actually kind of been one of these things that it reaches back a few films as well, but it comes up in this movie. Um, Loki has some amazing suits, and he's he's wearing he's wearing one when they go to New York. Um, they go to New York to retrieve Odin because that's where Loki's stashed him for a few years now. Um, right. And I don't have Hiddleston's physique, which is to not say I don't look like Tom Hiddleston because, <laughs> duh. Um, but I'm not, I'm not as svelte as, as Hiddleston is, especially as Loki. When he plays Loki, he trims down an extra 15 pounds or so. Um, so I can't possibly pull off the suits that he does. If I could, if I had even something remotely close to his body type, I would be like going to a tailor saying, give me this, make this for me, please. Because not only does like he wears them amazingly well. And that's one of those things I've always wanted. You want that black suit? Yep. Yep. It's long. It's got a great cut to it. I I want that suit so bad. (laughs) That's awesome. That's a very cool choice. Thank you. We rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Jess Rogers, what do you give to Thor Ragnarok? I would give it a very solid three and a half to three yes. and three quarters. Okay. Oh, wow. Oh, you really like this. It's, it's funny, really it's like funny it. too, because the only reason why we're talking about this movie, I don't really talk about comic book movies on this show. We're talking about it because you called it. And I'm like, yeah, all right. I guess we're talking, I guess we're doing a Thor show. So um, that's good. I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you were looking forward to a movie and that it, it, paid off because there's nothing I hate more than dash expectations um, I will give this movie a three it's really good really entertaining it doesn't elevate the same way that movies like Winter Soldier elevated um, so like in terms of those broader things uh, but it, it uh, everything it sets out to do it does really well and and again we kind of talked about how it, I wanted more uh, complexity out of characters like Hela and Valkyrie, and that for me could have brought it a little bit higher. But for what it wants to do, and for you know what it should do, it really overachieves, and that is that is really impressive. So three from me, uh, three and a half to three and three quarters from Jess. Hey, maybe you're a person who really doesn't like Ragnarok, um, or you think that we're not being kind enough to this movie. Let me know. Ryan at the matinee. .ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA, or Facebook.com slash Dark Matinee. What did your thoughts on Thor Ragnarok? 
Come on back right after this. We're going to take one last break and flip the record over to play the other side after this. We're back. She's Jess Rogers. I'm Ryan McNeil. You are listening to Matt Nacast 186. Thor Ragnarok was the flavor of the week, and we are going to go down the rabbit hole, turn the record over, play the other side, and talk about some other movies that make for good um, further reading after your adventures on Asgard. Um, you know, guest first, of course. I try to be accommodating. Um, what did you... There, there's some obvious cues, and I'm sure there's some other ones that we n- nobody would think of, but what were some of the movies you thought of that would make good complementary pieces to somebody coming away from Ragnarok? So I didn't actually know that um, Taika Waititi had directed this, like in my brain as I'm watching it <laughs> until I saw Rachel House who played um, the police officer wanting to rescue the little boy in Hunt for the Wilder People. Right. And then I was like, oh my god, that's right! This is Taika Waititi! That's what makes this so good. <laughs> and she was really good in this too. I want her to be in all movies as some version of a sidekick scene stealer when she's she is um, uh, the... Grandmaster, Jeff Goldblum's like sidekick or assistant, and hands him the melting rod or whatever it's called <laughs> at one point. And she's just great. She sort of imbues this authority that is high above the necessity of her being or her position. And she does such a good job of it. In Hunt for the Wilder People, she is. Um, she starts off as this semi-normal just social worker who's bringing out a probably bad kid to rural New Zealand um, to live with a new couple. He's basically gotten out of every foster home he's been in. He hasn't had an easy life. And now he's been placed with um, Bella and Heck. And they're way out in the middle of nowhere. And he knows nothing. He's a city kid. And... He's just so good, Ricky. This kid who doesn't know anything but keeps trying to walk a line. And it's just such a good movie. If you haven't seen Hunt for the Wilder People, Ricky is a social ward of the state type case where he needs people to take care of him. He's sent off. He ends up going out into the woods with Heck because he runs away after... um, the social workers are going to take him away from Bella and Heck again after Bella passes away. And they end up kind of on the run, except they don't know it. They end up off in the woods. I think Heck breaks his ankle and basically has Ricky has to care for him out in the woods. And so they learn survival skills and hang out in the woods. And Ricky's just this weird... It's amazing how little he actually knows for as world-weary as he probably is. It's, um, 
now, so I should make a note here. Um, the um, the movie that Jess is talking about, Hunt for the Wilder People, we did an entire episode dedicated to it, um, an entire podcast episode um, last year, episode 164. So if you... Excellent. If you did uh, see it in advance of um, Thor or you saw it after Thor, uh, do go check out episode 164 because um, I kind of feel like that was one of those shows where not a lot of people had seen the movie we decided to talk about and um, maybe in the time between then and now uh you're ready to listen to two people talk about it um that movie i remember when that movie arrived um watiti was also was already announced as the director of ragnarok and there were a lot of people that were really kind of buzzing all of a sudden because it was the thought of we knew that it was going to revolve around thor and hulk and if this is what he's laying down now it gives you a great big <laughs> clue into what that movie's going to be because you get this complicated relationship while you're on the road, while you're fugitives. It's like, yeah. here's a blueprint I'm going to do, but with characters that you know. Um, no, yeah, that, that would... I, like, I really hope that people uh, take the the cue of Taika Waititi uh, directing Ragnarok and go look for some of his other movies um, because... First of all, just flat out, they're they're amazing, um, and I really hope that this is kind of the beginning of a bigger sandbox for him to play in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the same with Rachel House. I guess she's now been in this second one. I don't remember if she was what if uh, what is it the Shadows movie? I get it what wrong we, every what time. What we do in the shadows. She was, she <laughs> was not in, in the shadows. No, okay. she wasn't in what we do in the shadows. Um, she was in play though. Which she also did. Yes, she was in she Boy, was and she was in Whale Rider, too. That's true. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was really struck by the director direction for this, that um, I didn't want necessarily another comedy, but I liked the same sensibility, so it really would make a nice pairing. Well, it's... Ragnar- it's, it's funny because that's the funny thing about these movies is that because they're trying to fit into a larger puzzle, um, the the comment, the quiet comment has been that they don't really let directors off the chain um, and let them bring their own sensibilities to it. I mean, it's one of the theories as to why Ava DuVernay didn't want to go and do a Marvel movie because she was close to doing Black Panther. Um, and part of the news coming back was that Marvel is actually really, really controlling about their product. I mean, in a, in a small way, understandably so, because you've got a lot of money invested in something you've been building for years and years and years and years, and the pieces aren't always going to fit if you get a DuVernay movie and a Watiti movie and so on and so on and so on. At the same time, I think you, and maybe this is what the lesson that Marvel has learned here, you can let the let the filmmakers have a little bit more latitude and do their thing. So they could have kept Edgar Wright on Ant-Man turned in the Ant-Man movie that they wanted, but still had his flair to yeah. the, the beats. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, it could have happened. Yeah. Um, for my choice on the other side, one of my movies on the other side, I was thinking about, um, I was trying to think about people on the run and hiding somewhere to keep them safe. Uh, because nice. that, that's, you know, that's where we've got, uh, th- that's where we find Thor and Hulk in this movie. And I went all the way back to, um, to the fifties. And I thought about some like it hot 
because <laughs> you've got, you know, two guys who are witness to a mob hit and they need to get the heck out of Dodge. So what do they do? But they hide in drag and they go to Florida and hide in an all girls band. Um, and I think that those these two movies would work really, really well together. Also, because, you know, you've got this little dynamic of two people, um, you know, in, in the Thor movies, you've got Thor and Loki. And then you bring in a character like Hulk to complicate it in some like it hot. You, of course, have um, Josephine and um, Geraldine or really Joe and Jerry whose relationship is complicated when they meet Marilyn Monroe, because whose relationship is not complicated when you meet Marilyn Monroe. Well, um, yeah. And yeah. And, and it's the whole idea of the comedy and the hilarity and the stakes that can all play into a story of being on the run and hiding, not like not at all in plain sight, but basically being on the run and trying to keep a low profile while the situation plays out. I think these two movies could work really well together. I think you're not wrong. I think a trifecta of Some Like It Hot, Hunt for the Wilder People, which is also going on a journey, yep. and Thor Ragnarok would actually be a ridiculously good weekend. I mean, you know, and in, and in all cases, you've got this, you've got this thing of you have to adapt. You know, like the the guys have mm-hmm. to the, the guys the guys really have to adapt. They have to you know wear the uh, wear the heels and wear the girdles and. In, in Thor, he's got a basically he's got a fight in, in this gladiator pit in Hunt for the Wilder People. They they mm-hmm. literally got to survive. Um, I, you know, th- th- there's there's commonalities to these movies as weird as they may seem as bedfellows. Yeah, surprisingly so. Good choices. Did you think of any others to go along with uh, Thor? I wanted to choose something that was a little off the beaten path and I couldn't really come up with anything that felt like it would match some of this except going back to see Jeff Goldblum do Jurassic Park again <laughs> just to watch some ah, of the, Goldblum. the characteristics of how they do these things and just to partner a really big type blockbuster that goes with it that runs through this parallel with Goldblum to sort of see let's say the evolution of Goldblum and Goldblumianness. <laughs> I'm not sure what you call it, but he clearly started something back then, and this is him in all his shining glory in Thor Ragnarok. So, really seeing the origin of his story could be kind of awesome. Um, I saw him described somewhere as a cross between Jabba the Hutt and RuPaul. In this movie. In Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, I, I mean... thought that was really nicely put. <laughs> it is indeed. Um, it, it's it's weird because he he plays... He's never the voice of reason. Like, even in Jurassic Park where he's kind of supposed to be the voice of reason. He's, he's not. He's this yeah. cross between... He's always kind of a rock star, a librarian, and, you know, a newt. Yeah, exactly! That <laughs> He's always just a little despicable, yeah, and just a little right and a lot wrong. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I like that. That is a good combo, especially because in that movie, he like that movie. He's very talky, very very yeah. talky. Whereas in this one, he's he's kind of much bigger. You know, he's he's still yeah. mostly talking. He doesn't really do much movement at all. He's almost always seated or just kind of standing at his little console. 
Um, well, he's got his hands, yeah. Yeah, but it, it's it, like it would be a great pairing to kind of watch youngish Goldblum with now older, different vintage Goldblum. Yeah, that yeah. was sort of my thinking. I like this, and I mean, like you said, like two big movies that have brains in their heads. Right. Yeah. No, I, I that would be a great double feature. I like that one as well. Um, I when I was trying to think of other ones, I wanted to go with the the family angle with and see of like another movie that we could pair up with. Uh, you know the, the the family dysfunction of Thor, Hela, and Loki, and I nice. thought about because we both have siblings. I swear to God, sometimes I feel like you have more. I can't believe you only have one. <laughs> How do you only I have, have a one? lot of? I have five cousins that I spend a lot. Maybe of time that's with. maybe that's it, or I'm counting your I'm counting your sister in law as another one. I don't know, but I was like. No, she only has one. What the hell? Um, and I have one as well. Um, but I, I was thinking of the family uh, politics and the family drama that comes up in This Is Where I Leave You from two years ago. The film about the um, the family where the patriarch dies. Uh, and this cast is one oh, yeah. goes and goes and goes. Um, it stars... Jason Bateman and Tina Fey, Adam Driver, Rose Byrne, Corey Stoll, uh, and the, the Tim- Timothy Oliphant. The matriarch of the family is Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda, right? And the the father of this family dies, and the family has to get back together and sit shiva um, for seven days. And you'd think that that would be extremely simple: get people back together to the homestead, sit shiva. Nope, that like all of the underlying family history family drama just bubbles up the way it does like you know kind of like the way it does on thanksgiving or christmas but for a week straight yeah yeah and there's secrets that everybody's sort of revealing which is what's going on in thor to try to see why hella is even around right now you've got this unknown sibling that's being revealed that's yeah there's some big comparisons i could see that yeah so i i thought that um that that, it's it's funny because going back to ragnarok i if i was to make one little note a scene that i would love to see is a scene where hella and loki have a longer conversation because loki is this little unknown factor that can do good or do evil basically according to his own whim um but he's he's definitely malleable so to see him put in between Hela, who is absolute dark and thor who is absolute light and basically kind of play tug of war for his soul i would actually really like to see that yeah oh that would be interesting i think we're gonna get some of that for um the <coughs> new star wars that yes. was advertised before the movie so yeah, speaking of adam driver um, cause you that know, was where my mind went. <laughs> yeah. Like that's the other thing that comes up in this is where I leave you is there's kind of, there's, there's a, when you get into a bigger family, there's always these quiet alliances, you know, like somebody always takes somebody's side. We always like to accuse our parents of, Oh, you always take Jess's side, you know, that, that sort of thing. And that yeah. really comes up in that kind of movie as well. It doesn't come up in Ragnarok, um, in terms of, in, in terms of loyalties. Cause Loki is pretty much strictly on Thor's side unless he's on his own side. Um, but it certainly comes up in this is where I leave you. Definitely. Whose and, side yeah. everybody's on. Yeah. And the absurdity that most family drama comes with. Definitely. Yeah. I see it. There we I go. see your connections. <laughs> Thank you. You know, somebody could do far worse than a weekend of 
this is where I leave you and hunt for the wilder people and Jurassic Park and some like it hot. I think both of us just mentioned it as well. Both of us would also recommend looking for what we do in the shadows. The first movie by Taika Waititi. Did you know they're making a sequel to that? I had heard. Yes. Yeah. About about the werewolves. It's called werewolves. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I love that title. Um, So, you know, if, if you enjoyed, uh, certainly if you enjoyed Thor, or hunt for the wilder people look for what we do in the shadows or definitely look forward to we're wolves and that is episode 186 of the matinee cast come on back on monday november 20th for episode 187 um i'm open to suggestions we might be talking about the square we might be talking about something else i do not know but i kind of want to get back to some uh, slightly smaller movies now that we've uh, dedicated some time to asgard um jess can be found on the real insight podcast which you can find on podomatic there will be a link in the show notes what is the next episode you guys are doing now that 1987 is in the rearview mirror um 1933 i think oh, casablanca God. and from the bell tolls 1933 is not casablanca then 34 no oh my gosh am i all the way up? that's what i was reversing i'd reverse the four and the three so <laughs> it's the 1942 there yes, we go Cas- either way we're doing casablanca and for whom the bell, the bell tolls, tolls. My bad okay. on the year nice nice that, that'll be a good show for sure yeah. Um, and your writing can also be found at Cinema Axis. You have a piece up on Ragnarok there. Uh, anything else coming up, or are you just kind of playing it as it comes? Um, that's all I've got right now. Uh, I had another review that I did do some of the doc specials um, as those come up around um, through Toronto. So oh, yeah, and you did the uh, and you did the short series for TIFF as well. Yes, that's right. And if people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? They can find me at in underscore entertain because once upon a time I had a blog that was called Insight into Entertainment. And we all miss it. My oh, site. Thank you. You're welcome. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, Apple's podcast app. Hey, you can also find them on Google Play now. You're welcome, Paulo, and the iTunes Store, all of which give you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Thor Ragnarok or any of the movies that we mentioned can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email ryan at thematinee.ca or Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA. Facebook as well, facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts? No, I enjoyed this. I kind of want to go back and see it again. I, I'm i pretty sure I will be seeing it again because I saw it by myself and... Uh, you know, uh, the the wife still needs to check it out, so I'm sure there will be most of the, the other thing is most of the Marvel movies and a lot of the blockbusters I end up seeing twice because Lindsay staunchly refuses to see 3D. So if I go see it opening weekend, <laughs> I I just pick like the most comfy theater, which is usually selling me glasses as well. She'll look for a 2D screening, so I'm like, yeah, I'll go again. What the heck? So nice. That's that. I don't see these movies twice because I really really want to. Although in this case, I really want to. I see it twice just, you know, because somebody doesn't want to play along. But for Jess, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.